Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to Island Conversations. Today, my guest is Hawaii County Prosecutor Mitch Roth. We last spoke with Prosecutor Roth in a two-part interview last April. Good morning. Aloha, Prosecutor Roth. Aloha, Sherry. I'm so glad you could be here. And I'd like to mention to the listeners, here happens to be a Pohakaloa training area. Prosecutor Roth drove from Hilo and I drove from Kona. And the commander at PTA was kind enough to let us use the conference room to talk And just as a preview, we're going to be doing some future discussions about PTA and some of the things that are going on here. I know, Prosecutor Roth, that you're quite a fan of what happens here at Pohakaloa Training Area. Yeah, I think a lot of people really don't know what goes on here. Outside of the military practices, they have some amazing things, including recycling, which is a big topic in our county. I think on an average level, we do about 10% in the county of recycling. Up here at PTA, they're over 60%, and they've won national awards. Just amazing uh, what they're doing with the stuff that comes through here. And we will be talking about that with the commander here at a later date. Now, Prosecutor Roth, last time you and I talked last April, we talked about a lot of your initiatives that essentially keep people out of the justice system and all the work you're doing so that both adults and juveniles are treated more fairly. And I appreciate that. And I'd like to refer everybody to those interviews, which you may find as podcasts or listen to online at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Up at the top, it says podcast. Just click on that. And then you can just scroll back and find our previous interviews with Prosecutor Roth. And I wanted to mention that because, Prosecutor Roth, I want to focus on some different things today. The first one is impaired drivers, and this is a topic that's very close to people's hearts because we've recently had, again, a rash of accidents where impaired driving was an issue. And my first question is, if there is somebody who is an impaired driver or suspected impaired driver, they cause a crash and they have previous DUIs, you have rules that you have to charge within 48 hours, you have to prosecute within six months, but isn't there a way to keep those folks off the street? You bring up a couple of things. One is the suspected impaired driver. You have to figure out what are we suspecting they're impaired. Is it because of their past activity or is it because we smell alcohol on their breath or they're acting in a way that would lead us to believe that they're impaired? One of the things that we have to do is generally we have to either take blood or breath or, or, or something to figure out if they are impaired. When there's a fatality involved, we generally have to get that done quickly. Unfortunately, the tests that we have don't come back to us quickly. And so on a statewide level, we've been working on this for the last year to try to improve the timing in which we get our results from our blood tests back and making sure that we're able to do these things. Uh, We're about to come into a crisis, possibly, depending on how quickly we act on this. And when I say that, I'm talking about how we get our blood tested. Currently, if we're testing for blood, it's being sent to the mainland to get a forensic test that comes back. 
lot of people think you just go to the hospital, you take the blood, and they're testing at the hospital, and they're letting you know. Unfortunately, we generally can't use those tests at the hospital for this purpose. We're doing it for a criminal purpose, and so what will happen is rather than the hospital's testing, it's sent for a more precise and accurate test. We have to have a chain of custody and follow that through. Currently, that's taking too much time to get back. I'm, you know, Sometimes it's taking over a month, which is really unacceptable, especially when you have incidents where loved ones are losing their lives and people are, are dying. There are some cases out there, and, and recently we've had some, some really crazy things happen on our roadways. We all want to get these cases done a lot quicker. And it's one of the things that in the last seven years we have actually charged some of these cases when we believe right off the bat that we're going to be able to prove those cases beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, but it doesn't happen in every case. And uh, we're not alone here in Hawaii County. Same thing happens in Honolulu, Maui, and Kauai. It's something that all the prosecutors and all the police and uh, people in Department of Transportation we've been working on for the better part of two years to get this situation taken care of. Okay, thank you. It's helpful to understand why things take longer than we all think they should. It's just, as you know, really frustrating when you see somebody... And when you said, why are they suspected? Well, when a police report comes out and they say drugs or alcohol or impairment is suspected, that's my evidence. It's, it, yeah, it's suspected versus known. You know, the other thing that happens in a lot of other states is they have a state lab locally or they have a department lab that's able to do that, do the tests and things like that. We don't have that luxury here on the, on the Big Island. And, and really for a lot of the drugs, we don't have it for the whole state. And the chief person that does this works for clinical labs, and he's about to retire pretty soon. So it's made it a little bit more time-pressing, uh, shall we say. And so there's been lots of meetings. As a matter of fact, I'll be in another meeting next week in Honolulu discussing this very topic, how do we get our state lab. The good news is Bruce Anderson, the director of Department of Health, he's been working on something our Department of Transportation, Ed Sniffen, they've been willing to look at getting some money. So people are talking and they are trying to move this faster. But these cases that happen here, it's just more proof that we need these things desperately now. Actually, we need them yesterday, last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Prosecutor Roth, another topic that comes all too frequently to people's minds is the whole issue of I'll use the term child abuse, but you and I have talked about this over the years, and it really started with the Peter Boy Kemma case, which you and your team were able to bring to fruition finally and prove that this little boy didn't just magically vaporize, that he was in fact killed by his parents. But recently we've heard about other cases where kids in foster care have either been abused or in some cases killed. And I'd like to mention there are a lot of fabulous foster parents on this island who are selfless and take terrific care of the children. But those cases we hear about, of course, are the ones that are disastrous. As prosecutor or as legislators, what can be done to not have this happen anymore? Because anytime you read about a child being severely hurt or killed, it's, it's a tragedy. Yeah, this is a huge systems issue. And you know, we've proposed a couple of laws. We've actually backed up and written testimony and went and testified on some of these laws. One of the laws that came into place, I think it was last year or the year before, was to get more workers 
at our CPS department. And that's Child Protective Services? Child Protective Services, that's correct. They actually did get a few more people. I still think they're woefully underserved. Unfortunately, we look at these things in the matter of dollars and how much the government can put forward, and that's difficult. The other things that we're doing in this realm is we're trying to go upstream, and we talked about this last time. And what I mean by going upstream is trying to train people to better keep kids out of the criminal justice system. I talked about it with our Camp Agape, with our restorative justice programs, working with the schools and teachers and parents and getting the uh, faith leaders involved. It's all of our jobs to create healthy kids. And you know, when a kid gets nine things that they're doing bad into their head versus every one, you know, kids start to believe that. And so we're trying to find ways to make it so our kids aren't entering into these systems. And unfortunately, we have a lot of issues. Uh, those issues include drugs and, and alcohol. And uh, we know that kids who come from, I'm going to give you a, a word, ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. When kids have a lot of adverse childhood experiences, they're more likely to be involved with drug abuse. They're more likely to be involved with crimes. They're more likely to, to drop out of school to get involved with you know domestic violence situations. And while I say that, domestic violence is one of those adverse childhood experiences that raises those ACE scores. Because if a kid sees a mother or a father being abused, that's trauma. And they say every one of those traumas adds up. And so a kid with an ACE score of eight uh, may have a 50% likelihood of abusing, of abusing drugs or alcohol. And if you start seeing that, you know that they're also going to be more likely to have kids entering into the child protective system and needing foster parents. Um, unfortunately, we know of too many people who uh, are grandparents that are now foster parents uh, because their kids are going through things. And we know, know of too many foster parents. And unfortunately, we still don't have enough foster parents. Like I said, there's a lot of really great foster parents. Of course, the ones we hear about are those who are not great and have damaged kids. And you mentioned that you've been focused on getting more workers for Child Protective Services. Is there anything else that our state legislature should be doing to shore up the foster care system? Because clearly somebody would have noticed these kids being abused if they, I don't know, been checked on. And I, I must say, I'm making judgment statements, and I probably shouldn't, but you know, it's really hard to read these stories. And I say this often to people. I see your problem, Sherry. You're confusing common sense with government sometimes. <laughs> but you know, part of it is we just need to have more people who can check on these people. We need to value our kids, I think, a little bit more. And I, I think that's something that we can all, not just the legislators or the government officials, I think that's something that we can all be a part of, whether you're doing it as an individual, you're doing it at a school, in a PTA, or in a church or a temple or, or, or something like that. We can all play a bigger role in looking out for our kids. Prosecutor Roth, I want to change to a completely different topic, and that has to do with the Mauna Kea protest situation. There was a lot of publicity around the fact that you were asked, or you, you actually asked the Ethics Board if you needed to recuse yourself from prosecuting people who might be arrested in connection with that because of the fact that you're 
son works for an offshoot of NASA, I think, and your wife also is employed, I believe, part-time by Subaru. Oh, full-time. Oh, full-time <laughs> by Subaru Telescope. So tell us where that situation stands. Are you and the county prosecutor's office, your team, are you able to proceed with whatever needs to be done? I think we've got to go back just a little bit. What happened was after we had the Kapunas arrested, there was an attorney in Honolulu that actually asked if I had a conflict of interest in having my office prosecute these cases. And I really didn't think that we had any conflict of interest. I asked why, and he said, because my son works for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is run by Caltech. And I found out that Caltech is a partner, but his job has really nothing to do with what's going on in the mountain. So I didn't believe that we had a conflict. He went to the paper, they contacted me, and I disclosed to them that I don't think that that's a conflict. I also disclosed that my wife works for Subaru. It is my personal belief that the people who are protesting are not against science. They're not against astronomy. They're not against navigation. You know, if it wasn't for the stars, many of the Polynesians would not have gotten here. And they're, they're not against STEM technology, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I also sit on a board for a group called Next Tech, which is working with high school kids to help them further develop their skills in STEM technologies, STEM areas, as well as working with various mentors to help bring people back to be employed. Because I believe, and I think most of the people who are protesting would like their kids to come back and have jobs working on this island, whether that's on a mountain or that's in a laboratory or being doctors or what have you. So I disclose those things. There was an article written in the paper, and I think the article was kind of unfortunate the way it was written because it made it seem like all of the legal experts felt that there was a conflict. In our law for attorneys, the conflict of interest is not there as far as this situation because I'm not receiving any funds from that. Our county law would require them to be giving me funds. I, I didn't see that, so I didn't believe there was one. However, because the way the, the article was written, it created what I thought may be an appearance of impropriety. And so I asked the Attorney General, who gave me an opinion but wouldn't do a written opinion, I asked for the Office of Disciplinary Counsel that oversees attorneys to chime in. They gave me some cases but would not give me an opinion. But both the Attorney General and Office of Disciplinary Counsel said, maybe you should ask your ethics board. And so I felt that was the right thing to do because justice is one thing. There's the idea of procedural justice, and that is that people have a right to be heard. And I didn't want to just run something through and say, we're going to prosecute these things and not listen to you people. And, you know, there's this possible appearance of impropriety. So we handed the cases off to the attorney general. We conflicted out, which is... Uh, Something that happens in cases from time to time when there's a belief of, of a conflict. And we asked for an opinion, and we're waiting for that opinion to come back. I don't see how they can find a conflict. They may find that there is an appearance for my direct involvement, uh, in which case the case would probably be overseen by my first deputy, Dale Ross. And we've decided that any new cases that come in during this time, she would oversee them and those original cases are still being handled by the Attorney General. But for those people that don't believe that they're being prosecuted, they are being prosecuted. And there's some articles that have been in the paper 
about um, plea agreements that the Attorney General has made. I guess they have not been accepted, and so those cases will, will probably end up going to trial. So that's what's happening. We're still waiting to get an opinion. We feel pretty good that it will be an opinion that we don't have a conflict. But if there is, we'll deal with it that way, too, and just say whatever you want us to do, let the people's voice be heard. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking with Hawaii County Prosecutor Mitch Roth. We recorded the interview at Pohakaloa Training Area. And if you go to the podcast site, kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com, you may see and listen to a really short interview with Gregory Fleming, the Deputy Garrison Commander at PTA, about their donating 2,500 pounds of food to Hawaii. Hawaii Island Food Basket. We are now well into the holiday time, so next week we're going to have a story of inspiration. Roderick Sewell is the first double above-the-knee amputee to complete Ironman triathlon. We'll talk with him and one of his friends and mentors, Rudy Garcia Tolson. The timing is good because on Sunday, December 1st, you may see a broadcast of the Ironman triathlon on NBC stations at 10.30 a.m. Hawaii Standard Time. Before we get back to our discussion with Mitch Roth, a word from our wonderful sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always stay best at KTA. Prosecutor Roth, I'd like to talk about 2020. When we spoke last April, you said you were thinking of running for mayor. Mm -hmm. So my question today is, we're two months away from the opportunity to file for offices which are up for election in 2020. That would include mayor. Are you running? You know, right now I am very seriously considering it. And (laughs) I've put in plans to move forward but we still have some other things that are going on that we'll make that decision. We'll probably be making that decision sometime in December. So I'll have to get back to you in December. Prosecutor Roth, if you should decide to run for mayor, I don't want to ask you to give us specifics on all the things you might want to do, but I will tell you that many people feel the county has lost its way, and it's not clear why entirely, but there are such problems right now in the county having to do with suddenly stopping recycling and solid waste being a huge issue with wastewater not fully being addressed with the procurement laws and this is something you actually brought up with the procurement laws being such as they are that you and your prosecutor office could have purchased your computers for far less money from a source other than the way the procurement requirements are and there's issues about how our budget is decided. So I don't want to ask you specifically about those things, but should you decide to run for mayor, what's your general approach to leadership? Because these are all issues that probably can be addressed through proper leadership. So what would your philosophy be? Well, I think, one, we have to be proactive rather than reactive. And what I mean by that, you know, we're talking about being up here at Pocalo. We, we mentioned already how they're recycling and how they're proactively doing things. I think we have to be proactive. We have to go out for that and say, look, we need to make a decision (laughs) and not wait 15 years, 20 years. We knew long ago. 
I'm hoping by the time this next election comes that we'll have this solved. But there's a lot of other problems that we need to act quickly. And part of that is thinking ahead where we're going to be. One of my favorite quotes is a quote by Wayne Gretzky, the famous hockey player. Wayne Gretzky said, don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where the puck will be. There's a lot of things that we can see coming up in the future. Procurement is one of those things. We're going to have some issues that we're going to have to deal with. We need to change the way we write our contracts for that. We also have to start thinking about what happens in the future with leadership. And we need to start training people to be leaders, not for today, but for maybe 10 years out. You know, one of the ideas, and I, I would hope that whoever becomes mayor would take something like this and says, you know, we're going to have monthly or bi-monthly leadership trainings for your department heads, and then open it up for people who are in the county at any level to, if they want to come on a weekend without getting paid, and put themselves in a leadership class where they can improve themselves, improve their leadership skills, so that when they take over whatever their departments, or if they take over, or if they go into business outside of the county, they'll have those skills to be better leaders. So being proactive and thinking not where we are now, but where we need to be, and be intentional about that. I think that we have done some of those things, but we really need to be a lot more intentional. So I guess my, my leadership style would be be intentional, be proactive. And the other thing is, as a county, we need to put service back into public service. And, and what I mean by that is we don't just do these things because we have rules. We, we, we do these things because we're trying to make our community a better place for people, a safer and healthier place to live. Gee, safer and healthier seems to have been your mantra ever since I first started talking with you. <laughs> so it's nice to hear that that would continue to be. Now, Prosecutor Roth, you are a county prosecutor, clearly law and order. Okay. And one might think if you did decide to run for mayor that you would somehow favor prosecutor office and police in your day-to-day dealings. And I guess part of the question is, how would you ensure in your own mind that you're balancing the needs of all county departments and all county workers against where you have come from? Because you've been a prosecutor for pretty long now. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. One of the things I think I'm learning is, well, let me go back for a second and say this. I believe that everybody should have a personal mission statement. That is a statement that defines who they are, what they achieve to be, and and what they're about. For me personally, my personal mission statement for probably the last 20 years has been to improve the quality of life for my family and for my community. And I think one of the things I've learned is part of that is being, just like I said, proactive rather than reactive. Part of that is doing things where we're working on going upstream, working on kids, providing things for our youth, and making sure that if you're going to have a vibrant community, that it's an economically vibrant community. You can keep your community safe and healthy, but if it's getting to the police and prosecutor, that means we're failing in other areas. And so you have to make sure that the whole system is working well, not just the cleanup guys. You know, 
You talk about having a healthy economy, and that is certainly a theme that everybody's been focused on for years and years. And now we have a situation going on on top of the mountain, which many people would like to see resolved, because the people who are protecting the mountain or protesting have extremely excellent points. But in order to be able to get what they need, they're going to have to negotiate. So I'm wondering if the mayor has shared with you, and let me, as I ask you this question, let me say I'm interviewing the mayor in two weeks. Maybe you want me to save this question for him. But in general, what's the county's strategy to encourage the protesters, the protectors, to come to the negotiating table and see if something can be worked out? The mayor has talked to all of us to see if we can get people to work together and come together. I think I'll leave the strategy, his strategy, up to him because he'll say it much better than, than I will. Prosecutor Mitroth, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but I know there's other things you're looking at right now. Tell us a little bit about that before we say aloha. So one of the things, uh, I recently went on a trip with the Judiciary and Department of Health to Florida to look at how they're dealing with the mentally ill and their homeless issues, but particularly on mentally ill and keeping them out of the criminal justice system. As we've talked about, our jails are overloaded, and um, unfortunately, we're using our jails sometimes to treat our mentally ill, and that's not the best solution. So I'm really uh, excited to be working with Department of Health and looking at some strategies that we saw in Florida. It was amazing because I saw when we went to Florida, Miami-Dade, they actually had a lot of the things that we have in place, but we haven't really been communicating as a system. And that, that's a whole system, be it the police, prosecutors, mental health, judiciary, other government agencies. And I think if we tune up some of those things, we will better be able to deal with a lot of the problems that we're, we're dealing with. One of the things that is happening now is we have a lot of people who are asking for mental health exams or they're getting these these exams sometimes the doctors are finding that they're unfit and then we see them committing other crimes because we haven't really dealt with the issue one of the things that they're doing in miami was they're doing a lot of civil commitments and also court constructed treatments outside of a facility that have made some just huge impacts on their criminal justice problems that they're having there with the mentally ill and the homeless. And they've been actually getting people to change their lives around and lead normal lives. One of the things that I personally had no idea about was the clubhouse systems that they talked about in Florida. And I found out that we actually have one in Hilo and one in Kona. And when I came back, I actually made it a point to go visit our clubhouse and just see that we actually have some great stuff here. But what do you mean when you talk about having a clubhouse? Okay, so a clubhouse is for people who, I guess, who have a mental health diagnosis, and they're working on kind of a rehabilitation, and they go to the clubhouse, and they learn skills, and they get them back on path with whatever their medications are. And it's things like that, though, that we have at our disposal right now that we may not be using to its fullest extent and we're probably not supporting to its fullest extent. Well, it's funny. When you say you didn't know we had a clubhouse here, I've never even heard that term. So pretty clearly there hasn't been a lot of communication about it. Well, you know, I've heard it, but I thought it was something else other than what it was. And uh, I actually went there and spoke with some people and saw how it's made a huge difference in their lives, taking them, you know, sometimes it's out of the criminal 
justice system, sometimes it's just making sure that they're taking their medications and they have that support out there. I think that's important. There's a lot we can do other than lock people up because, unfortunately, we just don't have the jail space. And I, I bring this up every time. Our jails on this island are pretty much at capacity, so every time I put someone in, we're kicking someone out. And so the, the idea is we've got to figure out who the right people are. And if a person's in a jail because they have a sickness and we're not treating that disease or that sickness or we're treating it by a criminal justice system, that doesn't make a lot of sense. The other thing that was really interesting is when they started looking at these programs, and we're starting to do some of it with the LEAD program, they found that the law enforcement injuries and law enforcement involved shootings go drastically down. And that's something that we're very concerned with. And we want our community safe. And if you have people who have mental illness who are not in control, doing dangerous things, then our community can't be safe. And so it's kind of exciting. I think it's something that the county and others can get involved in. You mentioned the LEAD program, and that is a program that the police and BISAC and other groups are involved with. Right now, piloting in West Hawaii, Assistant Chief Robert Wagner said that they really wanted it in West Hawaii because we do have a number of mentally ill folks who are committing crimes, and they want to divert them to mental health treatment or other treatment rather than jailing them. One question, though, about prisons. You mentioned they're overcrowded, and I've recently heard a couple of stories about people who are appropriately in prison, actually mostly at Halava, but they are ill and they're not getting their medication because the prison system apparently says it's too expensive, it's so crowded that people are sleeping on the floor, and although I don't think prison's supposed to be a place of luxury, sleeping on the floor doesn't also sound quite appropriate if we want to get people back out there. So I don't know if a prosecutor is involved at all with that kind of prison reform. So we have actually been involved with some prison reform. I think what people really need to understand is that 98% of the people we put in prisons are going to come out. You know, for a long time, as a young prosecutor, I never even thought about these people, nor cared about these people. But now I care a lot because if you don't get them ready to come out, they're going to be worse rather than better. So we've actually done some programs. We have a program called Victim Impact where we send victims into the jail and they talk with the offenders. And it's a victim-centered program that's making a huge difference on recidivism and just giving these people who are in prison a different perspective on what crimes that they've done. And I think that's important because... A safe and healthy community doesn't only mean putting people in jail, it also means figuring out how to keep them out of prison, how to keep them as productive members of society. That means you have to have jobs and you have to have people that are going to hire them and accept them in, and hopefully we can train these people to be better parents, because we also know that kids coming from those homes are going to have high ACE scores, the adverse childhood experiences, and there'll be like a 50% likelihood of entering into the criminal justice system. That's why programs like Camp Agape is so important. Prosecutor Mitch Roth, we are totally out of time. Any last 20 words or less you'd like to add? No, sir. Thank you very much <laughs> for uh, taking your time to meet with me all the way up here at beautiful PTA Puhakaloa. Thank you so much, Prosecutor Mitch Roth. Aloha. Aloha. 
and to our listeners, thank you so much for being with us. This is Island Conversations. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. My guest today was Hawaii County Prosecutor Mitch Roth. Until the next Island Conversations, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.